Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Utah Film Pod. My name is Josh Terry. I will be your host, and I am joined by Mark LaRocco. Welcome back, Mark. Thank you. Glad to be back. You bet. You bet. It's uh, it's mid-October, which uh, is one of my favorite times of year for a variety of reasons. I actually took a drive up the Alpine Loop yesterday with a buddy to take some pictures, see the leaves. You have any fun fall traditions? Um, you know, we've started doing that, but we haven't gone up this year. I believe last year, although it might have been COVID. I can't remember if it was 2020 or 2021. We did the Alpine Loop Drive, and it was horrifically... Um, traffic laden there's so much uh, traffic you probably you must have gone on the weekend yeah i think we probably went on a sunday night and it took about an hour longer than it should have and it's not that it takes long that bothers me because it is a beautiful drive but it's that you're like stuck yeah. in traffic going five miles an hour it's really right, hard right. to maintain focus and uh yeah yeah <laughs> i you know I think it's something we're going to just going to have to adjust to and reflect on in the years to come. But it seems like one of the strange, unexpected effects of COVID has been that a lot of outdoor stuff has become even more crowded. I was reading today about how in Arches, they uh, they went off of the reser- reservation system at the beginning of October. Because uh, you know how you'd have to get like a ticket or you'd have to have some kind of reservation to get into the park. And since they stopped that they've been having to do temporary daily closures basically for the last week, week and a half, because just so many people, even in October are trying to get in. And, and it's the same thing with these, with the, the fall leaves, you know, these, the stuff has become so popular that there's just people, 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 which is, you know, everybody's got a right to do it. I don't, I don't, uh, fault anybody, the desire to go and, uh, go see the, see the sights, but it does make things a little tricky. Mm-hmm. So, which is, which is why we, we made our, made our drive yesterday. And even, even yesterday, even though it was, it was Tuesday, it was, there were still a lot of people out and definitely had to dodge some, uh, some fast drivers who, uh, I don't know, for, for those of you who might not be familiar, the Alpine loop is kind of this, uh, it's, it's back kind of in the, the mountains behind Utah County, kind of back by Timpanogos and, turns into this very, very, it's a two-way road, but it's very narrow. It's barely much more room than like one one real lane, but uh, people kind of fly around blind corners and stuff, so you kind of have to watch where you're going. So I don't know, maybe it's safer when you're going five miles an hour and there's too much traffic because then people can't get any momentum going. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, but no, no, I, I I love fall. I love the weather. I love, you know, just a lot of the atmosphere and, you know, Halloween is one of my favorite holidays. And, and so there's kind of a cool vibe. I grew up reading a lot of Ray Bradbury books. My dad uh, influenced me that way. And, and so lots of things to like about October, which, which kind of leads into a discussion we're going to have a little in a little while, uh, in a few moments here. But uh, in, in the meantime, I think we got some new stuff. To, well, comparatively new stuff to talk about, right? Mm-hmm. Because, uh, I don't know which which we should we go first with because we got uh, we got a document a new documentary to talk about that's on Netflix, and we got a a movie that's been out for a little while that's a little more under the radar, right? Yeah. Like, isn't it more of an indie movie? Why don't you lead off with yeah, that? Let's... Why don't you tell us about? Uh, we'll we'll since uh, since this is the film pod, we'll talk about the movie and then we'll talk about the the Netflix documentary. Yeah, let's do that. I, I the movie is uh, called The Greatest Beer Run Ever. Um, I'm 
reminded, I was thinking of like, well, how do I craft a plot description for this? And you remember the internet challenge when uh, you try to describe a movie in the most boring, simplest way possible. Oh. So I would say, <laughs> a man decides to bring beer to his friends. Now, of course, you know, that doesn't <laughs> tell much of the story, but um, what it's about, it's based on a true story. So I immediately, I gravitate more toward true stories than fiction. That's just kind of how I am. And that kind of comes from my dad, too. He's always heavily influential on me and in uh, maybe the journalist side of us that we like to seek out true stories. But um, and of course, you know, with a movie, they take poetic license and they exaggerate things. And this is one of those mm -hmm. movies that's sometimes you watch a movie that's a true story and you think, well, they obviously they added that or they had to add this. And in this movie, this the main character, his name is Chick Chicky Donahue. I think it's John Donahue, but he goes by Chicky. He's a former merchant mar mariner. Um, he has a lot of buddies who are in Vietnam. I think the year is 1967. He's from New York, uh, the Inns Innswood area of Brooklyn. And he keeps hearing bad news out of Vietnam about like a buddy who gets killed, somebody in the neighborhood who dies in Vietnam in the war there. And he's at a funeral. And while at a funeral, he learns that another guy is MIA. And a lot of the early scenes of the movie are either taking place like at an anti-war demonstration or at his home where he's just kind of this lazy, good for nothing guy that doesn't know what to do with his life. You know, he sleeps till the afternoon and his parents and kind of make fun of him. And he hangs out at the bar a lot with the friends that aren't, aren't at the war. And then somebody hatches the idea. Uh, I can't remember if it's him or not, but to like actually go and deliver beer to his friends in Vietnam. And uh, so, I mean, and the funny thing is you, you think of that pitch right there. Like, let's say you're doing an elevator pitch to a studio exec. It's just so unbelievably stupid. I mean, it would either be <laughs> just some sort of crazy, like kooky comedy, you know, or just something that's not believable. Because it's like, how is this guy from New York going to just bring a whole bunch of American beer all the way to Vietnam and start going down to different areas of the country, jungle areas, air bases, dangerous roads and track down his friends just to bring him a beer. And yet it is true. It really happened. And I like wow. this movie came out about two weeks ago. It's on Apple TV. And I like the trailers for it because it'll have in like large block letters. A real guy really did this. It says that on the trailer. And um, and it's it turns it's it's a movie with a lot of heart. It's a really sweet movie. Um, the guy is played by Zac Efron. And he has, you know, he does a great New York accent. He's got a mustache and he comes across as a guy that's not real smart, like, but he's got a lot, I don't know how to put it. His heart is bigger than his brain because uh, he really does want to uh, support the troops. You know, the, the, there's growing kind of anti-war demonstrations, even his own sister's getting caught up in it. And he's just like a red-blooded American, you know, patriotic American and doesn't question the president and just wants to support the best way that he can think of and his buddies at the bar and the bartender played by Bill Murray, the best way they can think of to support their, their friends is to deliver beer. And then I was thinking the movie takes quite a turn in tone because it is quite, there's a lot of comedy in the first part, but then when he goes over to Vietnam and maybe that's predictable, he's really confronted with the horrors of war. Not just the stupidity of his mission, you know, and how dangerous it is and kind of unnecessary in a lot of ways, but that he sees some things that are that earn the R rating of the movie. I mean, there's some mm -hmm. swearing and there's some more violence, 
Um, it's it's pretty toned down actually compared to a lot of war movies, but it's still you know definitely R. And he uh, starts to question not just like maybe he should he wished he hadn't have gone. He never really gets to that point, but it's like okay, what what are we doing there in Vietnam? And is you know he sees things that are really just kind of troubling. Um, but ultimately, the movie kind of stays for as, as, as much as I described it as light as it can possibly be and and there's like kind of this running undercurrent of like war anti-war arguments going back and forth between characters in the movie and they don't really get too deep it's kind of things we've all heard before especially about the vietnam war um but i i really liked it um you root for this guy um even though he's not a real smart guy he's got street smarts i mean he's able to talk his way in and out of situations in in vietnam and uh, that that you kind of think, oh, that was a pretty smart way to say that, or it was smart smart of him to stay silent in that particular situation. Um, and uh, and anyway, I, I really liked it. It's by Peter Farrelly, who directed oh, okay. uh, Dumb and Dumber, <laughs> one of yeah. my favorite comedies, and he directed Green Book, which won Best Picture about three years ago, four years right, ago, I think. Right. Um, and so it's it's pretty good. I mean, it's I don't think it's great. It doesn't achieve that echelon uh, you know of greatness but it's a good movie and it's a fun i mean i'm a non-drinker but i imagine you know hey maybe enjoying a cold one with a friend like that's kind of what the movie is like it's an, an enjoyable kind of escapist movie for a few yeah. a couple hours and russell crowe's in it he's he's got a good turn as a a war photographer and um and i like how he sort of wins some hearts and minds of people that you wouldn't expect uh, because, you know, obviously everybody, including the audience, knows that there's uh, the mission, you know, is is not really the smartest thing to do. And as I said, it's probably <laughs> not a necessary thing to do, but it's what he feels that he has to do. If, if he feels like yeah. it's the best thing that he can do. Um, and uh, anyway, so, yeah, I, I recommend it. And uh, it's on Apple TV. So, uh, so not a buddy comedy, but no. a comedy about your buddies. Yeah, it's not really a buddy comedy. I mean, it's a little bit of like road trip movie, a little bit of a coming of age tale, um, little and you know, a war, war movie, mm-hmm. dramedy, I guess I would say. Um, yeah, but it's it's about like being there for your buddies. How can you support friends if 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 you want to? And and maybe there's not a lot we can do to support friends in situations that are really really tough. And and it's kind of interesting because. Really, as far as personally hand delivering someone something to a friend, there's really not anything you can do when your friends are in a war zone, and yet this guy does it. He does he does something that, uh, you know, is extremely just foolhardy, um, and 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 I think, uh, yeah, I, I like that description. It's a comedy about buddies. Comedy about what what you would do for your buddies, what you do for your friends, but yeah, not really cool. a buddy comedy. Yeah, no, I like I like that. I I think that that uh, that's a fun theme, mm-hmm. a very relatable theme. That I think uh, yeah, people can enjoy. As I was watching, I really felt like it was kind of a movie for me in a way. Like I, I you know how they talk about um, sometimes movies are like well they're Gen X movies or Gen Z or millennials might like this mm-hmm. kind of movie more. And first of all, it takes place in the Vietnam War, and you think of a lot of young moviegoers today. I mean that is absolutely ancient history you know like yeah, that's right. like world war ii or before but for my my era i mean the vietnam war ended just a couple of years after i was born 
And a lot of my early war movies that I was introduced to at a you know young age, I'd say teenage years, mm-hmm. were Vietnam movies. Now they were oh, yeah. none of them were this funny, I would say. I mean, I'm talking about <laughs> movies like Platoon and Apocalypse Now and you know Full yeah. Metal Jacket, those kind of movies, which um, which had very limited comedic material. Right, right. They're just not that <laughs> funny. Um, and, and in fact, I did think a little bit about Platoon when I was watching this because. Well, only because the slogan I remember on the posters for Platoon, I think, was the first casualty of war is innocence. And Mm. that kind of happens. There's a little bit of loss of innocence that happens to this main character as he's traipsing around Vietnam, you know. Yeah. And it's not like it was... I think think that kind of has to happen. It it kind of has to happen. Yeah, it would have been... It would actually been a really corny movie if he didn't lose, you know, lose his innocence, some of it, you know, with what he saw. But... um, yeah, I mean, it's, it. I don't know. I mean, some people might even think it's inappropriate to have a, a comedy about war, especially a true film, but I, I don't, you know, as you know, like Life is Beautiful is maybe my I favorite I was going to say, yeah, um, yeah. No, mm-hmm. I think that the way you handle it can make, right. you know, is is what makes the difference and, and in these cases absolutely validates yeah. what they're what they're trying to do there there's a little you know, bit of tonal inconsistency still that i i yeah. found a, a little odd and there were certain parts that i think could have gone quicker um and it's not even that long i think it's two hours and five or eight minutes or something but yeah i mean it, it got to a point where you know it kind of hammered home certain points but kept going with them and it, uh-huh. it could have gone a little the pacing could have gone a little bit better near the end but it's not like it's you know it was boring or anything like that. So, yeah. Well, nice. No, it's a uh, good to have a, a kind of a unique recommendation. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've been watching some stuff as well. I've been uh, going through a number of series. Well, we talked last time about how I've been doing better call Saul, but, uh, but last night, um, I watched a new documentary, um, on Netflix and new meaning, I think it's just been out within the last week. Uh, but there's a documentary on Netflix called the redeem team. And it is about, uh, it's, it tells the story of the 2008 men's Olympic, U.S. men's Olympic basketball team, uh, which was trying to reclaim the glory of the United States basketball program, which has spent most of its existence either undefeated or close to it. Um, there was a very infamous game. I think it was the gold medal game in 1972 in Munich against the Soviet Union that was very controversial. Um, and then uh, I believe, was it 1988, I think was the next time that the U.S. lost in in competition. And that's when they decided, okay, mm-hmm. forget it. We're bringing in the NBA guys, yeah. enough of these college kids. We're going to just destroy the world and show them who's boss, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, so the 92 has the dream team. 96 is kind of like the follow-up to that 2000. Um, but then things started to go wrong in the early 2000s. And we wound up, I think we got the bronze medal in 2004, if I remember correctly. Um, and so there was a stretch in that early, in that early part where uh, the U.S. would be kind of knocked off of its pedestal. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though there were guys like, Allen Iverson and and uh, LeBron James and and Tim Duncan, the 2004 team was kind of this big disappointment. Yeah, 
And so, yeah, so the Redeem team tells the story of the 2008 team, uh, which was constructed uh, specifically to reclaim the, you know, mm-hmm. the championship glory, the the gold medal glory for the United States. Um, and, you know, I would, my, my quick assessment is it's a perfectly watchable, well-produced, straightforward documentary that tells that story. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess... You know, and this this is something I, I noticed in another comment on on IMDb that that uh, referenced this, so I can't take complete credit. But you know, we we're we're living in a a great stretch for sports documentaries, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I I have really enjoyed um, there uh, there have been very few of the thirty for thirty documentaries that I have not substantially enjoyed. And, uh, and there's even another series. I think we were, we were in ta- talking about this before we started recording the one that had the episodes about, uh, Manti Teo. Um, I think on untold, mm-hmm. I think is the name of the series. Yeah. And, and so, so redeem team is good. It's absolutely good. I wouldn't rank it as this. Oh my gosh, you got to go see this. This is an incredible documentary. I mean, it's pretty by the numbers, you know, you have kind of like, talking heads interchanged with lots. I mean, there's, there's plenty of, you know, basketball footage and action and stuff and kind of behind the scenes stories, which are fun. Um, I would say that the most unique aspect of it, um, is that they were able to include a lot of archival footage, uh, not just playing, but interview footage with Kobe Bryant, mm-hmm. which takes on a much more sobering quality because of his passing a couple of years ago. Um, and so, so that part is pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I would just say this is this is just kind of your your good, you know, good sports documentary kind of middle middle of the road. Yeah. You have a, have an hour and a half to uh, watch something that's I don't I don't know I was gonna say uplifting I don't know if I would call it uplifting well, I mean it's definitely not the in in fact I don't know what was I think what was difficult for me was watching it as someone who is very conflicted with the NBA right now. <laughs> yeah. And so, so watching a lot of these guys, you know, cause LeBron James is front and center and you got, uh, um, I mean, a lot of the other key people who were interviewed were, uh, Dwayne Wade, uh, Chris Bosch, uh, Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony. Um, like I said, they had the archival for, uh, interview footage with Kobe, uh, Kobe Bryant. I'm trying to remember who else was, was included. Um, cause they did have, you know, a number of, a number of good interviews. They had, uh, I think coach K Krzyzewski. Mm. Yeah. Um, cause he was the coach of the, the 08 team. Oh yeah. No, well they had, and I guess, you know, being the Utah film pod, they did have quite a bit of interview footage with Carlos Boozer, mm-hmm. who was both on the 04 team and the 08 team. But, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was a good straightforward documentary, but it's also, I guess, watching it in 2022, and kind of thinking about, oh, well, this was kind of before super teams mm-hmm. and and before free agency really just kind of went crazy. And, yeah. you know, players started more, at least more frequently forcing themselves off of teams and stuff. And, of course, you know, this is coming from a longtime jazz fan who has just seen his team get blown up this past summer um, because that's just the way things are nowadays. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it's, it's kind of a mixed bag. I don't know. Maybe, maybe jazz fans are just cursed to not be able to enjoy any sports documentaries because if it's not this, it's last dance. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, that's which was, which, tough. 
and that one really was a great series. I mean, that was that was very. I loved you that know, one. Well done and thorough. Uh-huh. I, I didn't want to watch that for a while. It came out during COVID, and I remember just thinking, because I thought it was mostly going to focus on the that last team, the '98 team, and I thought it would just be too sad to watch as a jazz fan. Yeah. But I ended right. up watching it. And I loved it, and it, it went all over the place. I mean, it went back and forth in time between early Jordan and later Jordan, and went through right. each of those finals years. And so it was really cool. Um, it, it was awesome. I mean, and I think this new one, the Redeem team as a basketball fan and as an American, I'm, I'm probably going to like it, <laughs> I'm guessing. But um, yeah, you know, I'm familiar with the careers of all those guys. It sounds like it was about half of the 2003 lottery is on that team. Well, uh, and that's that was what I found interesting that maybe I hadn't considered was that so so Carmelo Anthony and Dwayne Wade and LeBron James were all on the 2004 team mm-hmm. but it was the summer after their rookie year so mm-hmm. they were just brand new yeah and and part of the reason they were there is because guys like Shaq had said no mm-hmm. and and another thing I hadn't realized was that the this was, I guess, the first full Olympics post 9-11. And so there were security concerns. They were in, uh, I think they were in Athens. And, and so in 04 or 08? In 04. Oh, yeah, 04. So, so, so sorry. So this is, yeah. so what was interesting was learning about more of the circumstances and context for the disappointment in 2004, which sets up mm-hmm. the, the redemption story of 2008. And, uh, and because I hadn't really... I mean, I didn't really think about the 04 Olympics in the context of, oh, terrorist attacks. You know, what if something's going to happen? Although I, I guess, you know, I do have vague, vague memories of that being a concern. But I guess that like all of the NBA players, you know, so all of the basketball players, they weren't in the Olympic Village. They were in 04. They were all staying on a cruise ship, you know, and so they were kind of isolated and and it just talks about uh, a number of these factors, and like I said, one one of the key which key factors being that these superstars weren't quite superstars yet, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and that they had time to grow into it. And then, of course, by '08, they were a little bit more, uh, you know, on top of things. And and they they, you know, the, the documentary talks about how they how the the organization was different and how they approached kind of the teamwork in a in a different sense and kind oh. of had to sacrifice egos but really the turning point at least is presented in the documentary is that uh, they because they initially didn't have Kobe Bryant for some of the preliminary stuff in the first in the previous couple of years like in 06 but once they brought him on that kind of helped to gel the team and and made the difference so so yeah I mean some some interesting stuff I mean it's definitely you know worthwhile if you're a basketball fan and mm-hmm. NBA fan um, and this is stuff that's you know not not the far distant past, but I guess it is, uh, 14 years ago, yeah. you know, so, so it's getting, it's getting up there. <laughs> yeah. It's but, been a uh, while, huh? Yeah. It sounds like a lot of those guys too were on, I mean, they're all stars, but there's not a lot of rings among them yet. I mean, you know, Kobe Bryant had, had three and Dwayne Wade would have had one, but, and I don't know, were any of the 08 Celtics on that team? Because you got like Garnett, Allen, Pierce. Right. I don't know if any of those guys were playing in the Olympics. You know, but... I did not see any of them. Huh. Um, there were, I mean, there were a number of guys in the background. They didn't, they didn't have interviews, interviews with everybody. Um, 
One thing that was interesting, which is another thing you and I were talking about in kind of our, our prep discussion, but um, Darren Williams and Carlos Boozer were both members of that team. And at least just from the footage, it seemed like Darren Williams had quite a bit of playing time, oh. um, which I just don't have any memory of. Yeah. Because, I mean, this was this was after they had kind of ascended and the, you know, the Jazz had already been to the Western Conference Finals that in, in right. 07. And, yeah. and so... I just I don't know why I don't have a more clear memory of watching those two guys because you know the Jazz would have had two guys on the Olympic team mm-hmm. so that that seems like it would have been more significant but I don't know maybe maybe I'm just trying to block out yeah. my my history and my memory as a Jazz fan because it's just so much pain <laughs> I wonder if this is also early like foundational to the friendship between some of those players who later joined uh, on teams, yeah. Mostly, I'm thinking no, they, of they, the Heat, and then later the Lakers yep. with Carmelo going to LeBron's team. But yeah, I, I wonder if there's a little no, bit very of much that so. There. They do, and they talk about that. Oh, okay. They do talk about that. So uh, yeah, no, and no. So like I said, I mean, just like I said before, it's uh, it's not the kind of documentary that's going to be on one of your your like your top ten list uh-huh. or anything like that. But I think that certainly anybody who has an interest in in the NBA and, and basketball would enjoy it um it uh it doesn't quite have the feel of a of a 30 for 30 documentary it's a little more kind of by the numbers mm-hmm. um in that sense there's there's not a lot of you know because a lot of those 30 for 30 pieces had very signature styles yeah and uh there was kind of a vibe to them i mean the one the one that i go back to over and over again that i just cannot get enough of is the uh the the june 1994 Mm. episode that was I can't, good. it was on june 17th i can't remember yeah. the exact day but it was it was the one about the OJ, day of oj's the chase yeah i remember and, that yeah <laughs> yeah and uh the the rangers had a uh a stanley cup uh parade because they had won the stanley cup yeah in the nhl and there was uh oh my gosh i'm forgetting his name but the the golfer arnold palmer i think was doing his final uh, pre-senior tour round oh, or something okay. like that. And there was just all these sports things happen on the same day. So yeah, I, so yeah, so maybe, I, yeah. so, so redeem team, I would definitely recommend seeing, but if you haven't already seen the June 17th, 1994, 30 for 30, definitely do that first. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe we'll give it kind of an alternative, uh, recommendation. Yeah. So, huh. yeah. Well, speaking of making a substitution, um, that is that is one uh, kind of a subplot to today's episode because there is one movie coming out this weekend. Uh, this weekend being, what is this weekend? Is it the fourteenth, the fifteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth, something like that? Friday the um, Friday the fourteenth. Friday the fourteenth, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, uh, so the quote unquote final Halloween movie. Um, not Halloween, the holiday, but Halloween, the series, the Michael Myers, the, uh, so the latest trilogy, the one, uh, there was Halloween a couple of years ago. And then the little bit after that, it was, I can't even remember what the second one was called. I just, I, once again, I think I'm trying to block it it's out. It's like, is there's... that H2O Halloween H2O or something like that? <laughs> no, I think that one was a little while. That was earlier. That was a ways back. Halloween kills. But. I don't know. I'm just making was up. That, I, was that what it is? I'm just making you know, stuff up. I don't know. Your guesses are probably <laughs> as close to being accurate as no, because so there's the there's a new trilogy, 
and it's been generally well received um except by me i just i really i saw the first one and it really just kind of felt like it was rehashing kind of the old slasher formula nothing new here and you know michael myers gets so they they set it up to be okay this is supposed to be the true sequel to the original 1978 movie mm. and so the killer from 1978 is caught he's in a mental institution and then whether i can't remember if it was 2016 2017 whatever he gets out goes on another killing spree but then now laurie strode you know the the hero played by uh um Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis, yeah, is uh, she's got her sister and her granddaughter, and they team up against him, and you know, obviously, don't kill him because you know, no spoiler alert concern here because we've got two more movies, and uh, so the second one, so the first, the first one, I didn't, I didn't like. It just felt like another slasher movie, and it felt unfun. Mm-hmm. It was not fun to watch. Like, yeah. And I think we might talk more about this in a second, but to me, what seems to be the appeal of the slasher genre is that there's kind of an element of just fun to it, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of a little tongue-in-cheek and a little goofy. And, and the new Halloween movie didn't really feel like it had that same vibe. Um, yeah. So anyway, so I didn't like that one. Wasn't particularly excited about the follow-up from a couple of years ago. Um, but convinced myself to go ahead and check it out because it had spun itself as some kind of twist on the formula where instead of Michael Myers hunting down innocent victims, it was going to be the town was going to gang up on him and hunt him, which I thought, okay, well, that's kind of an interesting twist. Maybe I'll check this out. And sure enough, it was just the same old, like it was another Michael Myers hunts down people. And, and I think that the, townspeople kind of turned on him they were like looking around for him but like it just was not mm-hmm. it just felt like the same old thing and i felt i felt duped i felt like you know ah they got one over on me <laughs> they tricked me and so so with that i thought okay well i know that you know so halloween ends is the one that's coming out this weekend and i just thought i can't do it i'm not gonna let him get me again <laughs> yeah i mean so so there there must yeah. they must make their money from it and there must be this core large enough group you know critical mass of people that are just going to see the halloween movie no matter what yeah that they're like all right we got the formula let's do it right turn out another one of these babies because i mean they've made a lot of these and there's a lot of franchises like that i feel that sure oh yeah really evolve they just sort of reheat and they're fine Mm -hmm. with that you know um so yeah well and i mean just some of the ones that spring to mind because uh, the objections come when they try to do something new. Yeah. Right. Where, I mean, I know that, uh, the Bourne franchise, when they tried to make one without Matt Damon and they, they tried to make it, you know, cause there was, what was it? The Bourne legacy was the one with Jeremy Renner, the Bourne Renner. And people didn't like that yeah. because yeah, the Bourne Renner. Um, <laughs> another one I was thinking about was, uh, I actually liked, was it Terminator Salvation was the one with Christian Bale that was actually set in the the, the post-apocalyptic future that it has always been referred to mm. in the movies. Um, it wasn't a great movie or anything like that, but I, I thought it was, you know, it was just watchable, yeah. plenty, 
find it. But people hated it because it wasn't a Terminator movie. Yeah. You know, it's, it's got to be Arnold. It's got to be, you know, somebody gets sent back in time to our to our day. Mm-hmm. And, and we can see how the Terminator, you know, franchise is gone. I mean, that's just kind of, I don't know. I don't think they're planning on anything with that one right now. But, uh, yeah, so, I don't know. I guess I guess the adage is if it's not broke, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But I don't know. I I'd kind of like to see some new things, some new ideas. So I don't know. Maybe if it tur- if it turns out that Halloween ends is unique in some way, maybe I'll go back and check it out. But I just uh, I would have felt like a sucker mm-hmm. if I would gone to gone to see that one. So so I don't know because I I always feel conflicted with movies like this because I do consider myself to be a horror fan. Like I do, there are a lot of scary movies, not a ton, you know, I'm probably a little bit more picky on them than, than some would be, but, but I do like scary movies. I like horror movies. And so there are, there are particular genres though, that I just don't really enjoy that much. And I think, I think the slasher genre is one of them that, you know, just, just seems a little too much on the sadistic side yeah. for me, where, where some of the other ones I think have a little more redeeming qualities to them. Yeah. You know, I, I think the besides, slasher, besides simple wanton violence. Right. I mean, I guess what you get out of the slasher genre, really, it's about three things. I think one thing is you get jump scares. There's always got to be plenty of jump scares where someone's yeah. looking for the killer and, and, you, and it's around a corner or, you know, like he suddenly appears in a mirror or whatever, or, or a door gets slammed and you don't know, was that a gunshot or a slam? You know, there's a lot of... Or a, uh, cat, or a cat jumps at you. Yeah, there's a lot of fake out yeah. jump scares. Yeah. Um, and and so, um, and then also you get usually creative or interesting ways to kill or die. Like, uh, you know, there sometimes it's like you know maybe Freddy killed somebody in a way that he's never done before in another movie. Like some some, yeah. and a lot of these slasher movies too end up with a, this the uh, the antagonist being killed in an interesting, weird, you know, maybe extremely gory way or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then just the whole, like, uh, who's going to survive and how, like, are, you know, they're going to survive on their wits or is it going to be like another character coming in and saving them last minute? And so there's, there should be a little bit of that kind of tension that like, you know, unknown, but, yeah. but I think, um, some people probably do watch them really for the gore. Like it is, okay, what's the gore? Oh yeah. No, I think that's a, get? yeah. Um, right. I think that's one of the biggest attractions for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And and I guess, you know, one, one of the other things that I've taken from the genre that I understood was that that there was kind of a twisted moral message behind it where most of the victims, if not all of the victims, were deserving of their demise because of their, uh, you know, their philandering or their, you know, it's 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 the old, you know, teens are having sex and they're not supposed to do that. And so they get killed. Right. So, so the joke is that, okay, well, you know, this is, this is vengeance or this is something that's, which, you know, is pretty absurd when I say it out loud. But I think one of the things that I didn't like about this, the, the, the most recent Halloween reboot was just, these were like straight up innocent, innocent people. Like there wasn't even any justification for them getting mm. hacked up this way. And, and it just didn't sit very well with me, you know, cause yeah. not, not that I was just perfectly fine with, with those, those darn kids getting, yeah. getting killed, you know, but like, 
there just didn't seem to be, and and I don't know, maybe maybe it's the nihilism of it that's mm-hmm. the point, but it's just slasher movies, not really my thing. Yeah, and, and so, but there are. I mean, I do like a good scary movie, you know, and and some real quality stuff, and and so. I, I want to say that we've talked about stuff like this before on the podcast. I, I'm trying to remember exactly the the context, but instead of instead of reviewing Halloween, I feel like well maybe I can pass on some recommendations for better options. Mm-hmm. You know, go see go see the greatest beer run ever if you want to go see something in the theater or you know something something better. But uh, maybe maybe there's a better scary option than Halloween that you can fire up on a streaming service or yeah or at the uh at our good at our good old friends at top hat video and bountiful which is still going strong mm-hmm. <laughs> the uh just about the last video store standing but i don't know what uh i mean you you've told me that you don't consider yourself like a horror I, aficionado i i right? really don't think i am i don't, don't know how qualified i am to speak on on horror in general um i've I've read enough about a lot of movies that I, I generally know what are considered the all-time great horror movies, and I know the mm. plots of a lot of them. Like, there's certain movies that I that get you know a lot of run, a lot of play among critics that I just don't plan to see, and that's so why I read I read the plot line. I know it's like kind of cheating, but I've done that with certain <laughs> movies. But the ones that I've seen, um, I I mean, usually it's something that maybe transcends horror a little bit. And I, mm-hmm. there's always a sense of originality that I I love, and then maybe a twist, and uh, and then something where it's like maybe fits in two categories, like maybe horror and thriller, or horror and yeah. mystery, you know. So, I I yeah, I'm not a big fan of the slasher movie either. Although Psycho is one of my favorite movies, and they say that right. that gave birth to the slasher genre, um, and it's you know, and it's also got. The twist, a couple twists, and really, really well-made movie. Like one of the most, one of the best movies ever. I think yeah. um, it it changed movies in a, in a, in a lot of ways. And uh, to to where you know Hitchcock didn't want theaters like letting people in if they were straggling in late. Yeah. Didn't want people spoiling it for anybody. He asked people openly like not to spoil it, please. And no, um, it's you know it's funny that. Uh, Sorry to cut in, oh, but ahead. like, um, because I've heard that as well as the idea that oh, the psycho, psycho launched the slasher mm-hmm. genre, and which I agree with. I mean, I definitely can see the connection, but it's absolutely hilarious to me, if not a little sad, to think of, okay, well, you got Psycho versus, like, the recent Halloween movies, right? Mm-hmm. Because to think that one led to the other was just, oh, wow, They're yeah. Uh, because Psycho, just like you say, I mean, is such a such a well done, well executed on just so many levels, and yeah, it's got the it's got the slasher yeah scene scenes, I guess a couple, you know, two or three, and 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 so it so it qualifies, but but it's not. I mean, there's there's so much more substance to it, yeah. And there's so much more kind of depth and quality and well, I mean, characterization and stuff. Yeah, I mean, as as is often the case, a lot of times the movie that inspires a lot of other movies, you can, it's both good and bad, right? It's responsible for so much bad content. And so, yeah, like, because right. even, even, you know, Halloween, I've seen the original and I thought it was good. And I mean, that was 
1978, that was a long time ago, and probably no other Halloween movie has lived up to it. You know, A Nightmare on Elm Street came out in, a, I think it was 84. Tons of sequels. Friday the 13th, tons mm-hmm. of sequels. Even movies that we talk, like to talk about a lot, like Jurassic Park or, or Jaws. All those sequels yeah, and all right. the movies that are inspired by those, probably none of them are as good as those originals. Um, so I'm sure Psycho, and Psycho itself has sequels. Uh, you know. Well, so that that leads to an interesting question. Yeah. Can you think, and we're, we're putting ourselves on the spot here, right? Mm-hmm. Are there any good, like genuinely good horror sequels? Uh, because just like you said, I mean, when I think about my favorite horror movies, I'm thinking about Jaws. I'm thinking about, you know... Jurassic, I mean, I wouldn't consider Jurassic Park one of my favorite horror movies, but it is a fantastic movie, and you could classify it as a horror movie. But everything is like the first time around, you know, like even the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre and mm-hmm. and, and some of these, the original Night of the Living Dead. And I, I now, so here's one that other people will argue, but I disagree with, because I've I've heard the argument many times that Dawn of the Dead, the original 1970s Dawn of the Dead is better than Night of the Living Dead. And I totally disagree with that. Hmm. Um, I I would say it's it's definitely better than a lot of maybe other horror sequels. Um, but I don't I don't think it's nearly as effective or, or terrifying. Like I, I still maintain the, the original Night of the Living Dead is one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. Oh. Um, but uh, so yeah, so I know that a lot of people would consider Dawn of the Dead to be a very good horror sequel. And uh, and I'll buy I'll buy it as a good sequel, but not as uh, hmm. better than I, the original Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, I haven't seen that one, so I don't know. I I've heard that Evil Dead Two is is yeah definitely better. I mean, in, in all, pretty much always, I guess, than Evil Dead. Um, but I don't. Well, but it's, it's a, not a it's, traditional it's like horror. A re, it's film a either. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's. I mean, it's basically a remake, like a comic remake of the original. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, it's only kind of a sequel. It's like 50% remake, 50%, you know, I don't even know if I would say it's 50% a sequel because it's like, it's the same story, but they just do it in a much more over the top comic way. Okay. And, and so, I mean, it's, it's evil dead too. So it, it's technically a sequel, but you know, that's Cause that's, that's one of the closest ones that I would name. Um, I'm just over here staring at my my Blu-ray collection on the wall, just trying to see like, do I even? Okay, um, Happy Death Day to you. Did you have you seen either of the Happy Death Day movies? Mm-hmm. They're a lot of fun. Okay, I wish that they would do a third. I think the intent was to do a third, but they couldn't quite. Uh, they just weren't successful enough. Um, first one, it's a lot of fun. It's kind of a kind of a comic version of a slasher movie okay. it's it's like a comic slasher version of the groundhog day formula okay um the heroines in in college um her uh tree is her name i think short for Teresa, and uh i think it's Teresa. i know that her shortened name is tree which okay. was kind of weird uh, but anyway um so she wakes up the same morning over and over again and, and like a slasher is killing her on her birthday. And so that's like, she's, she's living her, her death over and oh. over and over again. 
And and so that, that's why I say it's like so it's a slasher version of the Groundhog formula, except it's it's also funny. Mm. And the second movie is more of a sci-fi treatment than the slasher treatment. Okay. Um, because you start to figure out exactly like what caused this this recurring thing but but that one was a lot of fun i i enjoyed that one quite a bit so i would i would definitely put that uh, i would put happy death day to you is the official title okay i'd put that on my favorite horror sequels um i don't know can you think of anything else though not sequels i mean the things i really like are the original ones like yeah like the sixth sense i mean i know that oh yeah there you go that's to me i mean it's just one of one of my favorite movies and it's it's a it's a horror movie. I mean, it's about death and um, has, you know, the supernatural elements and it has a great twist and uh, yeah, kind of right out of the gate. I mean, it wasn't his very first movie, but it was really the one that put M. Night Shyamalan on the map, you know. It wasn't his first movie? No, he, he did a movie uh, called Wide Awake and one called Praying with Anger. I think. Oh, wow. But it was... I had not even heard of those. Oh, yeah. Those were earlier in the 90s. One was like 92. The other was like 98 or something. But that was really his... I mean, this was a better budget than those. And it was... uh, Yeah. And this led immediately into his, you know... I mean, he had a great prolific period there with Unbreakable and Signs, uh, The Village. And then after that you know, very up and down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Things kind of, there was, there was a tough stretch there. I mean, those are arguably his four best movies. They were all in that like five year period, but I, I think the sixth sense is, I liked best. the visit. Did you, I, did you see the I visit? I haven't seen it. I need to see that one. I, yeah. I would definitely, if you, if you like his earlier, I mean, if you like more than the sixth sense, mm-hmm. I would definitely check out the visit yeah. because, um, I mean, I know that there are a lot of people who kind of feel like, Oh, signs, the water, seriously, that's the twist, you yeah. know, and and the village, you know, I think a lot of people kind of got off the bandwagon with the village, but if you still enjoyed those, then I would say that you definitely should I, check out uh, yeah. the visit. I enjoyed those, and I saw those all in the theater, too. Like, those were all movies I, I saw. Okay. Um, but, I, yeah, The Sixth Sense is definitely, that's got to be one of my recommendations for, for horror. Yeah. and. It's the kind of movie that, like, I, I mean, I know they're still too young, but I, like, I can't wait to show my kids, you know, because you want to look at their face sure. and the oh, twist yeah. happens and see what they think. Um, and then another one is A Quiet Place, uh, which oh, we've talked that's about. Right. I, that's right. As a, as a parent and the, just the parental anxiety of, like, sort of the most basic story of your job, your responsibility or duty as a parent is to protect your kids. I mean, it just... It was so elemental. It's so like, it was really good uh, uh, for that yeah. because you yeah. do have a lot of fears. Some of them are irrational. Some are founded uh, as a parent. And in this one, where like there are monsters literally trying to kill your kids, and you have to keep them quiet. <laughs> you know, a baby. Right. I mean, it was just like we we could hardly breathe. My wife hated it when she saw it. She, <laughs> I know she enjoyed it in the sense that like you're. I think you're supposed to enjoy a horror movie, but she just hated. She just seeing kids in peril and a little baby and a, a boy. You know, the beginning. A, a boy's killed right at the beginning. Um, oh I yeah. Mean, she just yeah. hated it. It's intense. She wouldn't go see the second one with me. I had to go see it with my brother-in-law. Um, and, I was and gonna say that was a pretty good sequel. It was that very was good. One. Yeah, I was yeah. I was really happy with it. In fact, I know a few people, a few of my buddies who liked it better than the first one, and I I didn't, mm. but it was like really really close. Um, but yeah, that that was cool too to see Jim 
you know, Jim from The Office, John Krasinski, oh, yeah. do well enough no, to like, was... be established now as, I guess, a horror director. Uh, right, right. Because both of them were very good, and he made plenty of money. So I feel like he's kind of got, uh, he could have his pick of doing what he wants. And so I'm curious to see what, what else he does. Yeah. So yeah, him and, uh, uh, Oh God. Emily Blunt. Oh, are you talking about Jordan Peele? Oh yeah. No, Emily Blunt. Yeah. No, I was, no, I was going to say the other, the other big horror director, Jordan Peele. Yeah. That's, uh, that has been yeah. emerging over the last few years as a, uh, it's a heavy hitter. You wonder about this trend that they both came from the world of comedy and they're both two of the biggest horror film directors in the world. It's, it's interesting. Um, yeah, that is, but yeah. And then, uh, and they're both, so maybe, maybe the, the comedy is just putting on a mask to conceal the terror. <laughs> yeah. To hide, to hide the horror. We, we have to analyze that somehow. Yeah. Maybe comedy <laughs> and horror. Maybe there's a thin line between comedy and horror. You know how they say there's a thin line between love and hate. Maybe it's really yeah. not as far removed as we think. Yeah, and, and you think no, about I... it. I mean, Get Out is supposed to be funny. I didn't really find it that funny, but uh-huh. it's a horror comedy satire. I, I can't remember how it's built, but it's something like that. Um, but yeah, and A Quiet Place had it had a few funny moments, but mostly it was just extremely suspenseful. Yeah. Um, anyway, do you remember what lies beneath? Oh, I hated that one. <laughs> I I remember it being built up. I mean it was pretty well done, you know. I mean I, I just saw it the one time. I think I think I just really resented and I don't know, I guess we have to call this a spoiler alert, even though this yeah. one is at least twenty years old, it, right? Yeah, two thousand. Twenty two years old. Yeah, I guess just and maybe I'll maybe I'll kind of talk my way around this just in case anybody still would want to go see this one. Did you like this? Did you I like did. Lies Beneath? I thought it had some of the best jump scares of any movie I've ever seen. Like, yeah. And I know some of them were cheap, some of them were fake outs, but like it was, it had five or six just amazingly perfect jump scares. And then, you know, it yeah. had that good twist. Um, uh, but you, maybe, so you hated the movie? Was, I was going to say, maybe it was the twist that I hated. <laughs> Because it just seemed morally wrong to me, uh, and I don't know. I, I maybe I should because of the actor. Yeah, that. I think I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like, see, because I, I, like I said, I don't, I don't want to totally give it away. I, like that was. I like that about it because, like, <laughs> oh, there sure. are certain actors that they just always play a same or similar character, and it's nice to see something different. You know, like Tom yeah. Hanks in The Road to Perdition, or you, you know, like you get people that okay, that's not what they normally do. It's different, and it, yeah, it's cool so no and i think i think i would probably appreciate that more now Mm -hmm. and at the time i think it was more just kind of tongue-in-cheek was like oh come on you can't do this that's not right yeah it did feel weird when you first find out and you see it it just it felt kind of wrong like oh but yeah i know what you mean yeah we guess we've just been trained Mm -hmm. for too long to uh to go the other way but yeah i don't know so yeah so i remember seeing that i remember now this I believe this must have been the year before we worked together on The Statesman, but I remember going to see The Ring with a couple of my roommates. And that would have been, yeah, because I mean, thinking of based on who the roommates were, that would have been the year before you and I worked together on the paper because... I didn't review that movie, and I I remember like that was 
That was a really dark movie. It was. Like, I remember that one being really unsettling. And, like, mm-hmm. just there was a vibe through that whole thing that very much, you know. That was on. It took me a long time to rewatch that one. That was on my list. So I'm glad you brought it up because it was. Was it? Yeah. I, it, was a, it was kind of an honorable mention. And I had it. Okay. Because I, 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 I wrote down six movies. And I've mentioned three of them so far. But that was one that I'm like, well, I guess we did talk about Psycho. But, yeah, that was the one that I. I felt the same way. It was an eerie, dark, maybe almost satanic feeling. And I thought the filmmakers, what they did, I noticed, is they injected scenes that were almost surreal where, you know, little little clips or edits of just, you know, scenes that didn't make sense or that were absurd. Yeah. You know, that were, some of them were time, some of them were part of the videotape that were really effective. You know, it it it, yeah. it was unsettling. It was unnerving, and right. um, and it kind of made you feel that surrogate fear that you feel because you're watching. Like we're sitting in the theater watching a screen where you're not really sure what's going to happen. Anything could happen, and in the movie, the characters are watching a screen where you know after the first time when they watch that that yeah. videotape, they're dead within. Was it seven days or something? I can't remember, but I think it was. Yeah, I think it's like a week. Yeah, later. I think it was within yeah. a week, and so you—it's sort of that transference of that horrible feeling of impending doom as you're watching it. So that's part of it, I think. Yeah. Um, and it, it was just—it was well done, and I think it was a remake of a Japanese horror film. Right, and I, I at times I've thought of what I Ringu. I Ringu, think is what the, yeah, yep. yeah. I've never I've never gotten around to seeing it, but I, I remember at the at the time thinking, oh well, maybe I should go check out the original and see if it's different. Like, you know, another one that uh, you know I, I would put in a similar category and and is actually represented. I mean, this director has actually re- represented a bit of a conflict for me. Is uh, I believe a, a Dave Eggers. Um, a few years ago, he his first at least his first kind of big movie that I had heard of was called The Witch. Oh yeah, um, Robert Eggers. Which, uh, I think it's Robert Eggers. Is it Robert Eggers? Yeah. Not Dave Eggers. Maybe Dave. One of them. One of them's a writer. The other one's the yeah the director. I think you mentioned the writer who did a, a heartbreaking work of staggering genius. Ah, oh, um, yeah. which is really good. But yeah, the director so it, is Robert. So he did. So he did not direct the witch, is what you're saying? Right. Yeah. He he. <laughs> Robert did the witch, and then the um, the Northman was his recent one, and then the Lighthouse yeah. was his second one. Right, yeah. and I've seen I've seen the witch, and I've seen the lighthouse, and and both of both of those are spectacularly atmospheric movies. Mm-hmm. Um, the lighthouse I didn't find to be very scary at all; like it was mostly just kind of disturbing, this kind of weird. twisted, surreal, yeah. disturbing, yeah, yeah. real over the top performances and acting, and you know, very very visual and and just kind of a bonkers movie. Um, but uh, the witch is the one that I thought was just really terrifying, even though you're not seeing a whole lot on the screen most of the time. That's really it's just another one of these really hyper moody. Mm-hmm. You just feel unsettled by, you know, I mean, you're 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 looking at footage of just some northeastern forest and there is just this feeling of dread. Mm-hmm. And and so so I guess I the reason I feel conflicted is because. I thought it was very, very effective at what it was trying to do. But, you know, of course, writing for the audience that I, that I was at the time, I couldn't really recommend it. Yeah. You know, I couldn't say, oh, this is a great movie. Yeah. Because 
the criteria that my audience kind of had for certain things was, you know, I don't think you'd really enjoy this. Kind of mm. like similar to The Ring where it's like, okay, well, this is a really well-made movie, but it's also going to kind of leave you feeling a little sick inside mm-hmm. and maybe you don't really want to watch this. So yeah, I guess and maybe maybe that's just kind of my love-hate relationship with horror is that I really appreciate the, the creativity, you know, the, the macabre and all that is has always been kind of a, I was even just, I've been rewatching old X-Files episodes over the last few weeks and and just yesterday watched the one where that, that took place with the circus sideshow called Humbug so on the second season and just a fun, fun, kind of off the wall, crazy, dark episode, you know, among many, because I mean, the X-Files has got all kinds of kind of off the wall, crazy, mm-hmm. dark episodes, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm, th- I'm thinking of some other horror movies now, like, like The Thing is one that was just, you know, very, very... I need to see that uh, one celebrated and yeah well you know what we ought to do so and, and i think we've i think we have mentioned this on the podcast before but you know maybe we need to bring back if not zombie fest some version mm-hmm. of zombie fest that might just be kind of expanded into a greater horror uh appreciation night or something you know because we used to do our uh for those who either don't know or hadn't hadn't listened to a, the previous episode we used to have a tradition every year where we would have a watch get together with some friends and watch a couple of zombie movies and it was usually usually some kind of a double feature mm-hmm. and we we covered a lot of good ground i mean a lot of my favorite horror movies are zombie movies you know 28 days later is fantastic i saw that at zombie already, fest yeah right. yeah um men, already mentioned the original night of the living dead mm-hmm. um but uh and of course the, i think the one i'm always gonna remember the best which isn't a zombie movie was that uh dragon Dragon Hell, just because yeah <laughs> Because your wife just hated that one so much. I Well, I was thinking the other day um, about, like, horror movies with horrible, horribly, like, dark endings. Because yeah. a horror movie already, you should know what you're going into if you're going to see a horror movie. Like, you should never have any misconceptions. Like, okay, I'm seeing a horror movie. But I understand yeah. the desire to want a sort of at least something uplifting at the end. Like, oh, does it end on a positive note? Or does the, the hero survive? Or does... You know, and yet there are movies that are so dark that it's just like you feel if you felt depressed, happy through the movie, you'll feel almost suicidal at the end of it. You know, like, have you ever right. have you ever seen The Mist? Um, I have not seen it, but I've heard about the ending. And so I kind of don't need to okay, because yeah. I know that the whole point of that movie is the ending. <laughs> And so since I already know what happens, it kind of feels like, well, I don't see what there's any reason to watch this now because yeah. I already know the critical part. Yeah, you don't need to watch it because it's actually not that good. I don't know how I even stumbled onto it. I think I, I read Skeleton Crew, and that's the longest story in that. So I, I probably watched it because I had read it. I was curious because it's okay. there's a whole bunch of really good Stephen King short stories, and that's almost like a novella, The Mist in Skeleton Crew. And you watch it. I don't even remember who the act. Excuse me. I don't think it had any big name actors, and but it was watchable enough that I, I kept watching, kept watching, you know. And the creatures are kind of weird and cool, and there's the over the top Christian like we're all we're all being punished for our sins, woman. And, and most of the movie <laughs> takes place in in a supermarket where a lot of people are trapped. A lot of townspeople yeah. are trapped in a supermarket. Okay. But then the last part of the movie. Um, 
I, I, I don't, I guess I'm not going to spoil it. If somebody wants to go see it, I'm going to spoil it. But it's definitely a downer, I'll just say. Right. And it's the kind of downer that just makes you feel like, oh, if only they'd just known. If only they'd known or waited yeah. another minute. Like, it's just, why would they do that to me? As a viewer, you almost feel like you were punished for nothing or, you know, you sat through the whole thing for nothing. And so, and maybe there's a people who like it and like, yeah, that's appropriate. That's the perfect ending for this type of story, you know? Yeah. Um, well, and that's, I mean, because you could kind of make that argument for Night of the Living Dead because mm. that, that has a very, you know, very dark ending. Yeah. And yet it feels like, I don't, I don't remember feeling like, oh, that was wrong. They shouldn't, that, that totally blew the whole movie. Yeah. You know, um, I, of course, Drag, Drag Me to Hell has, the ending it's like, the... it's so funny and dark. <laughs> yeah. That it's absolutely perfect. Um, one that I, despise and and i'm tempted to just go ahead and say spoiler alert and i'm going to give this one away because i don't want people to waste their time with this one okay go ahead there's a movie from about 14 years ago called the the strangers and it's a home invasion movie with Liv tyler and she and her i can't remember if it's her fiance or boyfriend or husband or whatever it's they're the victims of a home invasion and these people in these creepy masks come in and start start tormenting them and stuff and you know, I got together with some friends and just watched this. Oh, we're going to watch a scary movie. It's called The Strangers, right? And it's absolutely the kind of thing that you kind of feel like, oh, well, this should have some sort of redeeming ending mm -hmm. that's a little uplifting, a little hopeful or whatever. And no, they just kill him. So they just die. That's wow. it. Like yeah. that's so, so like the, the plot line is just a descending arrow. Yeah. Right. There's, yeah. there's no, there's no twists or turns. There's no redemption. There's no there's no happy ending. It's just kind of like you start in a bad situation. It gets worse. It gets worse. It gets worse. It gets worse. And then they're dead. And that's it. And it's just like that sucked. I hate it. And I, I think they even made like a sequel to that stupid thing too. That's so I don't funny. know. I don't know. Well, I can't. I can't vouch for others. Speaking of endings that are, uh, I, I wouldn't say downer endings, but kind of cool, surprising, scary is, have you ever seen the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1956? Yeah, it's been a long time, but yeah. I, I have seen it. it. And I've seen the 78 one as well. Okay. Yeah. I haven't seen the 78 one, but I liked, I liked that one. To me, that the, the original one is just like the ultimate campy, like B movie, you know, yeah. black and white. And, and it's, 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 I think it was sort of an allegory of communism, like the Red Scare kind of infesting right. normal American yeah. households in, in the 50s. And, and so I could see that. I mean, it is a great allegory for that. And, but, but the ending, um, gosh, I feel, I feel like I need to, we should quit doing this. I'll, I'll just say spoiler, right? <laughs> spoiler. Go see the movie if you want to see it, but I'll spoil it. Um, he, the, the main character in the movie, like, looks at the camera like he looks out of the audience like at us and say well thank you could be next they could be coming for you you know like <laughs> um and so it's kind of shocking it's like oh he just broke the fourth wall and now the movie's over you know like it's it's kind of cool but um anyway yeah that was a good one so oh yeah no like i said i know i've seen it i've seen highlights of it because it's kind of one of those celebrated yeah you know you kind of see it in compilations and stuff I know I've seen the 78 version. I want to say there was another one made more recently, but I don't remember anything about that. Although I could be confusing that with something. Oh, you know what? 
Because I think, yeah, I think it was called The Invasion, and it was Nicole Kidman. So, like, oh, they keep okay. making Nicole Kidman remake old horror movies because she was in the remake of Stepford Wives. Oh, that's right. And then she was in a movie called The Invasion. And she was in The Others. And it's like the same. The Others was great. Oh, yeah. that was a good one. Yeah. That was a good horror movie. I really like The Others. Yeah. That one was fun. Um, so one that occurred to me that I guess you would have to classify as a horror movie would be, have you ever seen Eraserhead? Yeah. Okay. I don't know how to classify that movie. Would you, would, I was going to say, like... That movie is I, unclassifiable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I think I think the word surreal gets... Yeah. It gets you know, overused, a but lot. that's surreal. That movie is like a but surreal it, it nightmare. it qualifies. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that it's... Yeah, there's just, there's just no easy category for it. Mm-hmm. But uh, but that one, as far as being atmospheric, right? Just a, just an incredible movie. The the way I've always described my reaction to Eraserhead is that there are movies that I just enjoy for being really good movies, and there are movies that make me want to make movies. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Eraserhead made me that like sparked mm-hmm. my creative impulse. Yeah. in a way that a lot of movies don't. I, I um, it's a great debut, isn't it? David Lynch's first. I believe so. Yeah. E- it might be I mean, his I second. Think, I think it was his... might be his first. I think it was his first like feature-length film. Yeah. I don't think he did any feature-length stuff before that. Um, okay, so here, here's a dramatic left turn. How about Tremors? You ever seen Tremors? Oh, you know, I don't... With Kevin Bacon? I know that movie. I don't know if I've seen it all the way through, but I, I know that movie. That's a fun one. That's um, a fun one. I mean, it's it like, like I say, left turn. Like This, yeah. this is dramatically different from Eraserhead, but we're just kind of throwing out a, movies here. But like... Uh, now, Trevor's is, Tremors is a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a, you know, kind of a old-fashioned monster movie, but it came out in like the early 90s or, you know, so, somewhere, give or take, 1990, 1991. Uh, there have been a ton of follow-up sequels. Like, it's become like this weird cult series, but uh, I'm trying to think if I've seen any of the sequels. I can't think of any that I know for sure, I... but, but if you haven't seen Tremors, Tremors is a fun movie. Okay. It's a it's a genuinely fun one. Uh, I don't know what else. Did you have anything else on your list? Um, I I have ten Cloverfield Lane. I know we talked about that a few weeks right. ago. That's one that's like a, a yeah, kind of a horror movie, but it's a really good, effective kind of bottle episode of a thriller. Um, yeah, know, some of these movies where people are trapped in a in in a single location can turn mm-hmm. out to be pretty good. Um, surprisingly, you know, like because well, this, there was a. Um, yeah, there was one. What's the one that? So Shyamalan didn't direct it, but he wrote it, and it was set on an elevator. Oh, is it called Devil? Devil, yeah. And they're like a half dozen people are on an elevator together, and one of them is like Satan, the Devil, or something. You, and so they, but they, have you seen but they that don't movie? know who. Yeah, oh, okay. I, a long I time ago. See it. I haven't seen that one, but I, I do. It, it looked interesting to me, um, but I haven't seen that movie. I mean, it was it was pretty good. I yeah. I remember enjoying it and thinking it was pretty good. Like I I you know I haven't been driven to go see it again since then, so I don't know if that means that it's just okay. Yeah. But uh, but I do I do remember watching it and thinking, oh, that was that was pretty good. That was entertaining. Yeah. You know, but I, but I also remember that it's like okay, this is a Shyamalan idea and story, but he didn't actually direct it because mm-hmm. it's not considered one of his one of his movies. Um. But uh, yeah, that one. 
gosh, I can't even think of how we got there. <laughs> Devil, I don't know. We're, oh, we're, bottle that we're bottle making, episode. Making the rounds. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Um, I'm still trying to think of because I wrote down. Like I said I wrote down well because I've I know we've talked about some of these previously. I know before at a different episode I've talked about something wicked this way comes, which is Disney produced, but is probably like the best adaptation of a Ray Bradbury book mm-hmm. I've ever come across. Um, Lights Out was a fun one. Have you ever seen Lights oh, Out? That's so funny. Uh, today at, at work, my paralegal mentioned that movie, and I'd never even heard of it. And it's like, yeah. she said it was really, really good. And I, I looked it up. It was a 2016 movie. I hadn't heard of it, but heard it's good. Yeah, I, yeah. I'd like to see that no, one. No, it's just, it's just got kind of a clever little concept that, you know, it's just kind of one of these small forgettable horror movies that just kind of come and go but it was a little you know a little above the the standard level of quality and uh, i remember enjoying that one um now one that this one i mean i don't know i my my sister will roll her eyes at this mention but uh have you ever heard of freaks um, the movie Freaks. I've seen that. I yeah, it's a nineteen thirty one yeah Todd Browning yeah. movie, and I right I, right. I remember. Um, I think my dad and I rented that once because we just thought we're so curious about it, and it is kind of a curiosity because <laughs> they use real right. um, disabled people and and you know in the movie, um, and that's well because it's actually it, so one it's of the set in a side I've show. ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's so so yeah, so it's set in a sideshow. It's, like it's an an early nineteen thirties. Yeah. Same director as the original Dracula, right? Okay. And uh and so I, b- I believe so. And uh so it's set set in a sideshow and the whole point of the movie is to make it clear that real monster you know, what what makes you a monster is what's on the inside, not what's on yeah. the outside. Yep. <laughs> and but but they send this message in such a macabre, just you know, kind of crazy, bonkers way that uh, it's you know, and, and because the majority of the cast are straight up real little circus people performers and circus and, performers, you know, people si- missing side limbs. Show performers. Yeah, yeah. No, there's there's a guy who is he's missing his arms and legs, but they have a, they a show a scene where he like lights his yeah. own cigarette. <laughs> I you know, that. And, <laughs> oh yeah, just and and so so it's kind of unsettling, uh-huh. right? But I don't know. I mean, because you could make the argument that they're being exploited, but then the movie makes it pretty clear that like the argument is that hey, these people are being mistreated by the quote unquote normal people running the show and, yeah. and those people are the real monsters. And, and, and so, and you hope, and like, you hope they got paid. I mean, like you think about the job, the jobs available to some of those people and there, there's certain things they just probably can't do. Right. Like, especially with yeah. no reasonable accommodations in 1931 before the ADA was passed. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I, I've heard it being, I've heard people say it's exploitive. And others say no, it's not. And so you know, you don't know. I guess it would be interesting to see the interviews uh, with all of the, those actors at the time or after. Um, so yeah. I don't know. Maybe it led to some other work for some of them. But yeah, that was that was a that was a unique movie. I, I think it was about yeah. an hour long. Um, nothing like it really has been made before, or maybe even since. 
Yeah. Um, well, like I said, I believe it was banned for several decades, at least in England. I, mean, I okay. think that's one of the things it says on the DVD boxes that they're proud of know, it. Yeah. This was, oh yeah. It's yeah. like, watch a banned um, movie, you know, like read a banned book, you know, that movement, watch a banned <laughs> right, movie, you could right. put freaks on. Yeah. Huh. So, so freaks is out there. The original. So we're, if we, if we kind of stay with the way, way back there movies, um, have you ever seen the original Nosferatu, the original silent movie? Um, yeah, I have that. It's 1922. I guess that's even older, huh? That's that's probably the oldest movie I own. Now that I think about it, um, yeah. Because that movie, I mean, they did a remake like 60 years after Werner Herzog did it. Yeah, I actually watched that last year. Oh, okay. Yeah, with Klaus Kinski. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wish I could say I I I really enjoyed the original. I it's just it's so no, old it's, and. Yeah, uh, you know. Like, well, it's and it's a si- it's a silent movie, mm-hmm. and so it's its narrative capacity is compromised, I guess, yeah. just because of the way they have to tell the story, and and so I guess if you're just so used to more traditional storytelling, mm-hmm. it's uh it can be a little bit of a a chore to get through, but uh, visually some some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, and. I, I still think you know probably the coolest Dracula. I know. In terms of his well, he's he's a tortured and, soul. He's, he's he doesn't yeah. delight in you know drinking. <laughs> hey, human he looks blood. he looks like the kind of guy who's actually has to live on right. human blood. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and he has none of this. Uh, yeah, doesn't he have those scenes that, like a scene where he rises up and I, I think they did a pretty cool job with it where he just sort of like levitates up and. I can't remember yeah. if it's that one, but yeah, you know, it's funny. There was, no, that a, sounds right. There was a movie made, um, called shadow of the vampire with, uh, John Malkovich yeah. and, uh, I can't remember the other actor, but was it William Defoe? Anyway, uh, that does sound right. Yeah. Where they talk about the making, uh, the movie is sort of about the making of the original Nosferatu, but it's yeah. the movie posits that Max Shrek was a, a vampire. <laughs> So the main actor right. in that movie was actually a vampire. So it's sort of a comedy movie, I guess, but it's kind of weird. <laughs> I liked that one. Nice, um, nice. Well, any more any any final recommendations? I think we've I think we've name dropped a whole bunch we of did. quality alternatives to the Halloween ends. Way way more than I thought. Time. I guess going back to sort of comedy horror, I I did enjoy the Zombie Land, which I watched at Zombie Fest right. one year. Yep. Zombieland um, was a good one. That was a lot of fun. The Bill Murray cameo was just unforgettable. Um, well, I'll I'll compliment your Zombieland with Shaun of the Dead because uh, that one that one deserves to be mentioned too. Oh, I if we're going to talk about comic zombie movies, did you show that at Zombieland? Uh, probably. That's probably where I saw that. It. Yeah, I think it was where I saw it because I don't. Yeah, because I don't. Yeah. I'm not like a connoisseur of zombie movies, and I'm thinking of like pretty much all the ones I've seen were probably at zombie fest. <laughs> because of me yeah <laughs> well i'm i'm honored to play that role in your life mark <laughs> thank you yeah whatever whatever small <laughs> small influence i can have yep <laughs> well nice sir so uh i guess we'll look forward what's uh what's coming up anything anything exciting happening in your life uh, film or non-film related well let's see what are we doing this weekend like group date we're doing a murder mystery like dinner hey. dinner theater murder mystery group date this weekend okay. so well that's on that point should be interesting um yeah it'll be fun uh nothing nothing else really uh we're just i've got a 
you know, I have, I do have some, I want to look at some of the October releases and see if there's anything uh, to go see in the theater pretty soon. But um, I think we should, I, there's a lot of good stuff coming out in November too. So um, yeah, no, it'll pick up by the norm. But unfortunately, um, I'm going to be heading out of town here pretty soon. And I think that as, as a consequence of that, I'm not going to be able to see Black Adam before it gets released. Well, so because I know that's one of the biggest short term, mm-hmm. you know, coming up quickly releases. So I guess I guess if you're looking for feedback on the, the newest movies, mm-hmm. FilmPod isn't going to be your best resource <laughs> for, a, for a couple of weeks. But uh, we still do sure appreciate you for uh, listening to us and taking the time to hear us out. And we'd love to hear back from you if you want to drop us a comment or, or any kind of a message from whatever platform you're listening to or watching or uh, just interacting wherever, whether it's on Spotify, whether it's on iTunes, um, be sure to give us a good rating, give us a thumbs up, give us a howdy, and uh, wherever you're at, be excellent to each other. <laughs>